This is Kelly. This is Jen. This is Heather. And you're listening to Whiskey Cats. (laughs) In this episode of Whiskey Cats, we taste our favorite whiskey, test our sense of smell, and discuss rankings and barrels. Have a listen. today. I brought you some writer's tears. Oh, so delicious. Oh, I shouldn't say I drink. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how it's. Sorry. Alert. Do you want to do that over? <laughs> I figured we're celebrating a little bit. We're in Heather's new, brand new mm. condo. That's right. We have a new studio for yeah. Whiskey Cats. It's beautifully painted. <laughs> it is very nicely done. And so a little hot, but we do that anyway. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> The bottle is almost empty, but you know what? We we should just kill it and um, tell all our lovely listeners why we love this bottle so much. Mm. Um, It has to be spoilers because we've all loved Writer's Tears for a long time. I know, I can't hide my love. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. So just to to recap, we um, talked about a little bit about Writer's Cheers in the first season. Um, it was one of the first bottles I brought back, Heather and Jen, from a trip to Ireland. And I bought it on a whim, clearly because of the name, because you can't leave a Irish whiskey cellar mm-hmm. <laughs> without a bottle of Irish whiskey called Writer's Tears. Yeah. A plus on that one. Yeah. <laughs> and it did not disappoint. So let me tell you a little bit about Writer's Tears, and then we can talk about more about how much we love this whiskey. <laughs> um, so Writer's Tears is um, made by Walsh Whiskey Distillery in Carlow, Ireland. The company was created by Bernard and Rosemary Walsh, and they set out in 1999, so kind of baby, so young. Kinda baby uh, to bottle the perfect Irish coffee recipe Hmm. oh that's interesting yeah and Hmm. they created the hot irishman limited company oh my god best name ever (laughs) to do this just like this place (laughs) send send all of your hot irishmen (laughs) to and uh they did this because rosemary um owned a ski chalet and so when they were hosting people she would make 20, 30 Irish coffees, uh, you know, at the end of the day and was like, there's got to be a better, more efficient way to do this. So that's how they, yeah, that they set out to, to, to accomplish this. And, uh, and they did. So they made, um, this, this recipe called the Irishman Irish cream, which is an all Irish owned and produced product. And because of this, they signed uh, a long-term supply agreement in 2006 for um, their whiskey with the Irish uh, with Irish distillers, and that was sort of the beginning of them bottling and distilling their own uh, their own whiskeys. So these are not the same people who made the Irishman, which you brought back to us. It is. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. Oh. So in two thousand seven, it was when they launched their Irishman whiskey, which we oh. talked about in season one. I don't think I ever put together that it was the same yeah. uh, distiller. Yep, and. Then in 2000, we love them all. (laughs) (laughs) And then in 2009, they launched the Writer's Tears, which they claim to be a boutique brand. It has the best name of all of them. It does have the best name of all of them. And then, so they've continued to 
do the Irishman, their Irishman um, expressions. They continue to do the Irishman expressions and the writer's tears expressions. And in early this year, 2016, they opened a new distillery, the Walsh Whiskey Distillery, and that's where they'll be continuing to produce um, and bottle their bottle their whiskeys. So do they sell the Irish coffee? I believe they still do. I, I think mm. that's still the, the Irishman Irish Cream is the name of the product. So I wow. think we can We're going to have to get our hands on some mm-hmm. of that. Yep. Yeah. And so Writer's Tears itself was named after Irish playwrights and writers of the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Obvi. <laughs> and they produce Writer's Tears using the same methods as the 19th century distillers using all copper pots. And it's actually a blend, which I didn't realize. So it's a blend of single malt and single pot still, but it's all 100% Irish barley. Okay. Hmm. Did not realize it was all barley. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that doesn't ruin it when I <laughs> taste it again. Oh, so I know. It's still going to be great. It'll change our minds on barley, if anything. Definitely. It is triple distilled, as all Irish whiskeys are. It's non-peated, and it's matured in American oak bourbon casks. And um, Irish whiskey is matured at a minimum of three years. Um, and so I'm not sure exactly what the age is on this particular bottle, but you can you can say that it's a minimum of three years. When I first brought this bottle back from Ireland, which was, what, two years ago? Something like that. Something like something that. Like that. Um, you couldn't get this bottle in the U.S., but you now can get it in the U.S. <gasps> what? Where? Tell me. Tell all of us. <laughs> so their website said that they are distributing in DC. So we can probably find a better. What? Oh That's my exciting. god. Yeah. Me and Jen have been like hoarding our tiny yeah. bottles, our tiny rapidly emptying bottles. I know. Bottles. <laughs> I'm like, I ration it. And people know yeah. when they come over, yeah. they're like, is it okay mm. if I have like, I'll just a have one. Bowl. I'll just have <laughs> one of these. And I'm like, yeah, you can have one and then you're going to move it along to something else. <laughs> and the best part. They're saying that it's retailing for $40. <gasps> yes. That's a great price. Oh, yeah. You guys, if you can't tell, we love this bottle. <laughs> really excited to have some today. <laughs> so shall we, um, shall we go for it? Yeah, let's yes. do it. No, uh, no good cork sounds today, today, but that's okay. That's no, it's a, it's a twist off. <laughs> and it's been open, and clearly. Sorry. <laughs> Also, I do feel like I should mention, just because I'm an editor, every time I tweet about drinking writer's tears, people misconstrue it, and I enjoy that, <laughs> and I foster the misconstruing As of you it. should. As you should. <laughs> oh, it's such a beautiful light color. Mm-hmm. And I love the bottle. It's very, it's just, it's gorgeous. It's got, like, this beautiful cream-colored label, and there's a little teardrop in the mm. middle. Simple lines. It's like a skinny, clear wine bottle, basically. Like a tall, thin, yeah. Yeah. straightforward I love it. Bottle. Mm. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, so I just good. feel like it hits the perfect note between a little sweetness and a little spiciness. It's not like so spicy as a rye and it's not so sweet as a bourbon. It's just like perfect. Perfectly balanced. Mm-hmm. It's funny now that we've talked about the barley, of course, now I can taste it a little mm-hmm. bit, yeah. but it's not off-putting at all, Mm-mm. and it just adds a dimension to the bitter. flavor. Yeah. And I feel like when we've tried the barley before in other versions, it's had that sort of bitter, like, musky undertone, and yeah. this does not have a... I mean, I might say it has, like, a slight bit of musk, but it wouldn't be the first thing that you notice about Mm-mm. it at no. all. No, I don't know. The smell is really subtle. It's like it's not overpoweringly sweet. It's... It's just a lovely whiskey. 
that like pitch perfect burn on your tongue. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. ugh, I love that. Yeah, there's no overpowering anything. It's just, it's just so pleasant. We have no objectivity no, anymore. I know, but <laughs> but you know, it's not like we had any reason in particular to like this. I mean, we could have hated it, but we all it really just hits like the perfect note, and that's why we loved it from the beginning. And that's yeah. not even the bottles that we have aren't even the first ones that you brought us. That's that's like yeah. the second and maybe even third, third. bottles that yeah. you brought us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is this is a well loved whiskey in our bars. Yep. I yeah. I don't I don't know what else to say about it. I'm excited that you it's here, and for forty dollars, like that's my house whiskey. Yeah. For, like if we can really find it, that's amazing. So the bottle actually has some tasting notes. It says on the nose, flashes of apple with hints of vanilla and honey over a distinctly Irish pot still base. The taste is gently spiced with a burst of ginger and butterscotch, with background notes of toasted oak. Finish is long, elegant, with subtle notes of milk, chocolate, and almonds. Apple, I'll give you. Butterscotch, very subtle, but I'll give you. Mm-hmm. I think the mm. the the long finish is correct. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has kind of that characteristic that you want of Irish whiskey, which is that triple distilled, that it gives it that smoothness, mm-hmm. you know, that it really is not harsh in any way. And being aged, I mean, so minimum of three years, but probably also not that old. So right. probably like between three and five years, which is... And like, that's a nice place to age a whiskey, I think. Right. And just our couple of years of drinking them, I mean, the young ones can be so harsh and the old ones can be so complex as to be confusing sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it's great, but sometimes it doesn't always work. And this is kind of right in the middle where like, it's, you know, it's just kind of gotten smooth, but it has multiple flavors. Oh, it's just good. see there are eight beautiful glasses of caramel colored liquid it kind of looks like at a county fair when you have to like oh. plug the, <laughs> the ping pong ball into and then you win the fish that's what it looks like up here right now so Best last episode we talked about how great women are at smelling everything number one mm. but smelling and tasting mm. and i read this article this week about whether or not people can smell the difference between bourbon and rye. Ooh. Oh. Oh, God, I'm nervous. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my nose is kind of stuffy. <laughs> so we all, we've talked about this a thousand times here and, and in life about how there's this, you know, ethos in the world that rye is spicy and bourbon is sweet, is that, and that is the way it is. But the Journal of Food Science did this study where they had people try to tell just by smell whether they were smelling a rye or a bourbon. So obviously, I decided that we had to try this. And so I have set up for Kelly and Heather a little test. I have made for each of you... Oh my god, there's graph paper. <laughs> now I'm really nervous. This is the only paper I really have. It's like an AP test. <laughs> so, okay. you each have nice. a little piece of paper. Okay. Oh my god. 
And here are some pens. There are eight glasses. Some are bourbon, some are rye. I will tell you that each one is different. And you may begin, you know, smell them and tell them and see if you can identify. This is where we play the Jeopardy music. Yeah. <laughs> I can't smell anything in this one. I feel like I should cover my. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly cheating off me. Heather, what's the answer you to number three? <laughs> see, you can smell some things. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, oh, yes. Yes. I know. I'm trying not to overthink it, though. I'm mm-hmm. like, my first instinct, and just let it go. Then sometimes you just get F and all in your nose. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go grade them. What? Oh, you can <laughs> tell us? I will. <laughs> go can we drink them? some of these? Yes. <laughs> oh, wait, but Which I know. Which one did I know? I know. The I know. <laughs> I come back. I knew there was one exactly. I've scored you. Even remotely pass. <laughs> Kelly, you got four out of eight. <laughs> yes. Heather, which is a 50%. Oh, God. Heather, you got five out of eight. Oh, Which nice. is more than 50%. I don't know what that math is. <laughs> I don't know. Six. So I'm curious if we got, like, no. so we both got three. We got almost the exact opposite ones, except mm-hmm. we both got three. Totally fascinating. That, that is, is fascinating. fascinating. So here's right. what they are. Number one mm-hmm. is the Finn's rye. Oh, that's oh, the one that I hate. Yes. Yeah, the really gross one. Yep. But I mean, like, I picked that up and I was like, oh, God, yeah, I can smell that rye. That's that Oregon mm-hmm. Damn. terrible sm- thing. It does have a sweetness to it, though. That's what I But you're right. It has that terribleness to it, too. <laughs> Number two is an Alberta rye that was gifted. We were just talking about how we haven't had a Canadian rye in a long time. It's really funny because all I smell is like maple, vanilla. Canadian rye. Oh, I smell um like cereal flavors. Like that's, oh, that's you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Grain, grainy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Number three, did did you guys get three right? We, we both did. Do you know what it is? Beam. Oh. <laughs> I'm so pleased oh. you both identified it. <laughs> I was like, I think that was the first one. I was like, oh, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> Number four is wild turkey. Oh. That one to me funny. seemed so bourbony. It's so sweet. Which is funny because I'm not sure I would have called wild turkey sweet, but the uh, nose for sure. So number five, Heather got, did Kelly not. didn't. That's the Catoctin Creek rye. Oh. I think I was going back and forth on this one. Mm-hmm. It was like one of the second, second or third one I smelled and I couldn't quite. Mm-hmm. I was like, it was really borderline for me. But well, no, and yeah. that's a rye that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And to me, an enjoyable rye is one that kind of tastes like bourbon. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. Uh, number six is the Booker's bourbon. I got that one. We've been drinking a lot of. I don't think I've had that. Our friend Laura brought this over like it's last week. Vanilla. The bottle's right. basically gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number seven is the Berkshire bourbon, which we've had. For number eight, I wrote cock. I don't remember what that means. <laughs> it's called Fighting Cock. I've never had it. It just it was one of the minis at the ABC. Brown sugar. So, that's what I smell. So that's so funny. You kept with the study. They were like fifty percent. People could guess half the time. Wow. Thank you for participating in my social experiment. <laughs> no, and that's, that was fun. Yeah, it's also funny that. 
you know, like sometimes we're so, sorry, on the nose when oh. we're, when we smell and taste and then we go back to the tasting notes and then it's like, oh yeah, definitely. I smell this or I don't smell this or, or even just thinking about what you have to do to become a whiskelier. I know. Like, uh-huh. And trying to tease out all of the different smells. Like I, Although to be fair, so so at the at the end of this story where they summarize, like it's really hard to tell by smell is basically their conclusion. But once you taste it between a bourbon and a rye, it should be totally much clearer because huh. you you should get the spice and the sweet. So I kind of I don't know I should have blindly poured you one of each, but um, well I wonder the idea is that you could tell by taste. Could you go and take these and like relabel? Well, you don't have to go crazy, but you could do it in a way that, like, you move it all down one. Or something that, like, is easy that you don't have to, like, recalculate. Let me pick four, two of each, and see if you can taste them. How about that? Okay. New experiment. Taste them and tell me which one is a rye and which one's a bourbon. (laughs) God, whatever that is, I don't like it. (laughs) Oh, my God. These reactions are amazing. <laughs> wow, that just like fried the inside of my mouth. <laughs> that was harder than I thought. That was almost harder than tasting because I feel like I was so much more confident in my ability to taste them. And then when I did, I was sort of like, I mean, because that's like, talk about what we're really tasting here. Like, they're all whiskeys. They all have, it's all on a spectrum, right? It's not like one has vanilla and one doesn't. One just has different spectrums of the same kind of mix of flavorings and you have to be able to determine the degree to which they have them. Is five the beam? Five's the beam. Five's the beam. Yeah. That's the one I tried first and I was like, this one seems okay. (laughs) I tasted that and all I could taste was licorice and I was like, oh God, Heather's going to hate this. Yeah. Yeah. It's so gross. What is that? That's the fins. Oh Oh, God. (laughs) I'm glad that we blind tasted exactly how fucking bad that was. As soon as you tasted that, I'm like, oh, they're so true to form. (laughs) It well, was, what was so disgusting. What was three? That's the Catoctin rye. Wow. Okay, I got that one. Because it wasn't even that I disliked it. It was that it just like obliterated my yeah. mouth. It was yeah. like it's, it was like a, a tidal wave of... But I, I actually didn't dislike it. Okay, so... So I didn't actually get that number six with the rye. Like, it was just licorice. And mm-hmm. I can't place licorice as a rye or a bourbon. Mm, that's interesting. Very interesting. And that's all I could taste. And I was just like, it just coated my tongue and it... Oh, it was just vile. I should have known that it was the most vile one, that it was the Finns. <laughs> so what was number one? Number one was the Booker's. The bourbon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that was the one I wasn't really sure about, but I, I think I tried the one after the three. Mm-hmm. I, I tried the one after the Catoctin, and I was just like, I, I can't taste anything yep. right now. But I, So I got um 75%. Yeah, I got three. Three out of, three out of four. Write it down. Just... Mm-hmm. <laughs> The academic in me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that was fun. So interesting. Yeah, just to reiterate, everyone, don't get that fins. some news today. Speaking of Irish whiskeys, yes. The question of the day is, can Ireland become the center of the whiskey world? Which mm. seems a little like self-evident. I guess you really have to know the long game of whiskey, which is that 
Ireland was, and then it wasn't, and now it's maybe poised to come back. I'm a little less interested in the headline of the story, which is a story from the Daily Beast by Lou Bryson. Then there are some interesting facts in here that I think, you know, we do like, we're not whiskey experts, although I like to think we're on our way to (laughs) getting there. We're still kind of learning a lot. I hope our readership is too. And I actually think there were a lot of facts in here that were pretty interesting to me uh, that I um, got out of this article. So this is really asking if Irish whiskey will be able to overtake scotch in the market pretty Hmm. soon. Uh, Soon. Well, so what it says is that from 2002 to 2015, so about the last 10 10 or so years, sales of Irish whiskey in the U.S. have grown by an astronomical 642%. Whoa. So we've talked a lot about the rise of bourbon. And so this is kind of the same story, but with Irish whiskey. What you kind of have to know is that a lot of things really quelled the distribution of Irish whiskey, whiskey, um, starting with prohibition in the U.S. We weren't importing it. Um, a lot of um, trade embargoes with Ireland and, you know, the UK during World War II. So anyway, so this is about, you know, how like Irish whiskey might really have a comeback. But what he talks about first is scotch and like where scotch and Irish whiskey all place in this world of whiskey. And I guess I never really thought about it. I mean, we're America. So like bourbon is kind of our, you know, hometown kind of whiskey. But he says, first, scotch is by far the biggest player in the overall category of whiskeys. So more scotch Mm -hmm. sells than any other whiskey in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, It's twice the size of second place American whiskey. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. This is just in the U.S.? No, um, worldwide. Sales. I think this is worldwide oh, okay. sales. Okay, all right, interesting. So then it says, of the, I found this the most interesting of the world's five major whiskey producing areas: Scotland, the U.S., meaning Kentucky and Tennessee mostly, Canada, Japan, and Ireland. That's the order of the five major whiskey producers. Wow. Uh-huh. Irish whiskey lags far behind in last place and would have to grow a lot and for a long time to catch up with Scotch in terms of volume or even dollar sales. So that's what they're talking about. That. If it's increasing at a rate of 642%, is it going to catch up with scotch? Even though, I don't know, I guess I didn't realize that Irish whiskey was so far yeah. below, I mean, below anything. Below, mm-hmm. like, not even just scotch or bourbon, but, like, literally anything else. Does he give the rates of growth for any of the other no. markets? I'm so curious. That's fascinating. So then he compares some of these Irish whiskeys, and actually it goes back to what, you know, we were tasting with the writer's tears is like how Irish whiskey is made. And that um, a lot of the way that Irish whiskeys are made actually compares to, to scotch a lot. Um, so he talks about, you know, most, um, most Irish whiskeys that people know are Jameson and Bushmills, maybe Tullamore Dew, but that they're, um, they're like a blended scotch. They're a relatively mild flavored whiskey. It's distilled to a high proof. It's barrel aged for a minimum of three years. And, so a lot of these are very much like scotch in the way that they're made with a unique blend of malted and unmalted barley, I'm kind of quoting a lot from this article, mm-hmm. which gives it a fresh, grassy, and almost fruity character like no other. And so it has like, it, the only difference is that scotch is double distilled um, or twice distilled, whereas Irish whiskeys are triple, triple distilled. And that triple distilling gives it that smoother character that mm-hmm. scotch doesn't really have. Scotch is going to be like a harsher character. Hmm. So he's talking about how in these Irish um, distilleries that, you know, some of, like, some of them are a little new and working under whiskey, working with whiskey that has been purchased under long-term, long-term contracts from like the Bushmills and Jameson distilleries. And so how they're sort of just now really developing their own flavors. And that even in these like tiny, in this tiny section of Irish whiskeys that already exist, 
there's already much more diversity than there is in the scotch distilleries. That it's like blooming really, really fast. And it's not just the sales of it, it's the production of it is not only booming itself, but it's varied. Um, And it's varying kind of exponentially. Mm -hmm. So he thinks that that maybe will make it a more interesting product just for consumers going forward. Um, Like what we just talked about with Writers Tears is that they started with a long-term contract with probably Middleton, Jameson, or Bushmills to then create their own distillery and be able to distill under their own name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he even, and then he compares it to bourbon at the end saying that it's basically like what is happening to bourbon in the U S that it's getting all these sort of small batch distilleries and that it didn't have a life until fairly recently and then just exploded. So he thinks that's where the next great frontier is, which we've talked about Irish whiskey kind of a lot. I Mm -hmm. mean, for good reason, but, (laughs) (laughs) but we found a lot of different stuff that we've all, almost universally liked. I'm trying to think yeah. of an Irish whiskey that we actually didn't like that much. And I'm I not sure we have. One. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, That's Jameson, but well, yeah, <laughs> that's so interesting. I mean, that, that relative ranking globally is really interesting to me too. Yeah. I would not have assumed that, but it also seems like there, there's a long way to go. If they're going to take over scotch, if they're like way, 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 way at the bottom of the five. Yeah. We'll just have to keep drinking writer's tears. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, darn. I know. I'm fascinated that Japan is so far up on that list. Yeah. I'm fascinated that Canada is so far up that list. Yeah. <laughs> Although maybe places that, like they've got colonies. So maybe that's partly a colony thing. You so think so? We. I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to imagine why people would drink that. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that I can think of is colonialism. <laughs> I will say, and I do <laughs> Oh, you think they have colonies who drink it? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I was, thinking, I was thinking that they had colonies that made, like, oh, interesting. No, 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 no. They meant, like, <laughs> more interesting than the mainland. Like, they, they distributed in the colonies, and they're like, here's the whiskey you're allowed to import. Yeah. Okay. Enjoy it. Possibly, possibly. But I will say, we have tried very little Canadian whiskey, so we need to get it, you know. True. I wish we could, True. I wish Drake was coming through for us, but of course, <laughs> but of course he's making us American whiskey. Maybe. Maybe there's just a lot of people in Canada who are drinking nationalistic whiskey. I mean, what else are they doing? Besides fishing, I guess. I shouldn't say that. Sorry, Canada. We love you. For real. So speaking of rankings, um, I stumbled upon this blog post um, by the author of Bourbon Strange, Surprising Stories of American Whiskey. It's an ebook on Amazon. Hmm. And apparently just two years ago, he ranked the eight companies that were distilling all of America's whiskeys at only 13 distilleries. Wow. And in two years, he's now already counting 10 companies distilling at 15 distilleries. So it's going up. <laughs> but still, yeah, it's a little crazy. Getting to my brain around yeah. this math. Mm-hmm. And he explains his ranking in terms of the threshold was any distiller or company that was putting out over 500,000 proof gallons per year. And he says that he's totally discounting any craft distillers within his rankings because there are too many to keep track of. And the fact that they just don't put out enough volume Mm -hmm. to have any impact on the large, larger bourbon market. Mm -hmm. So a place like Hudson doesn't even qualify either, even though you can get that like anywhere East Coast. Because the volume that they're outputting is not anywhere close to hmm. 500 
thousand uh, proof gallons a year. Then in the comment section, because who doesn't love to read comments? <laughs> there is a very interesting discussion about why you just chose to completely discount craft, craft distillers, which I thought was the most interesting part of this discussion. Like, sure, anyone can go and see who owns what and, and who they're distilling and, and where they are. Um, but they talk about how craft distilling um, actually has a definition of 100,000 100, proof gallons per year. So they're, again, they're nowhere close to getting the 500,000. Um, and there was a lot of, a little bit of a heated debate about, you know, why are you even writing off craft distilling? Aren't they like really pushing the market to be better? Um, isn't that why like so many are coming, you know, up and coming because a lot of people are looking for more diversity than the big, than big bourbon is uh, putting out. Then the other part of the argument was saying that really, you know, the, they're not putting out the volume. They'll never be able to put put out the volume. Even combined, they're not going to be able to put out the volume um, to compete with the large bourbon uh, companies. And the fact that their success doesn't really go beyond their local area. So wherever they are, even if they have like, you know, maybe it's like an East Coast distribu distribution agreement, they're still, you know, just limited to the East Coast. And that also, you know, when we were talking about whether or not uh, these new bourbons and new whiskeys can really compete on the market because a lot of them are trying to accelerate their aging and how the the point was that usually that the accelerated aging really can't touch just the the time and investment that you're going to get from an older bourbon. Um, and the people in the comments were basically making the same, the same argument is that because the newer craft distillers are trying to cheat time, they're putting out an inferior product mm -hmm. and they're not, they'll never be able to catch up because of it. You know, what percentage of the market are these large producers, right? Like, are they like 90% of the market or? I mean, I think they, in terms of bourbon, I think they're covering, yeah, everything. Just because they're the ones that are putting out the most per volume. And again, that's how he couches it. So I don't know in terms of, you know, sales or any other measuring data point. Mm -hmm. it, this is only per volume. And this is probably a totally stupid question, but when you measure per volume, that's that's restaurants and individual sales or or just one or the other? I would I would say everything. Like what right. what's what's coming out at the at the spout? Like right. how much are they right? Are they bottling? You know, I don't even know if it's it, if what they're putting into barrels or what they're bottling. Yeah, it'd be interesting so. to see how, like, the dollar, <laughs> like, what percentage is it in terms of volume and then what percentage is it in terms of dollars? Mm -hmm. I'm also curious what, like, the thesis or, like, conclusion is. So, like, okay, so, I, like, my question is, so what, right? Like, so what are, I mean, is he saying that, like, craft distillers will never be able to survive or like what, you know, what's the sort of overarching point of the study? I think this is not necessarily just a numbers. study. I think, <laughs> it's just, I think it's just numbers and saying, you know, of his opinion, he's not going to include anyone that can't come close to producing what the larger bourbon producers are going to make. So, okay. and, and you can put up an argument all you want saying that, you know, they'll have, they have an impact on the market or they don't have an impact on the market because it doesn't matter because they're not right. producing the volume that that the larger bourbon manufacturers are are producing. 
And to scale up that way would be correct. Nigh impossible. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly some will do it, but right. yeah. And I wonder if this matters more for people who like live in Fargo, North Dakota versus us. Like we can basically get our hands on anything, not only because of our, because we live in a very metropolis, but yeah, a, a thriving metropolis, but also we're like relatively close to places like Kentucky. I wonder if this is a, a more, like, if it's an important conversation for people who will only ever have access to what is the biggest market, mm-hmm. right? The kind of actual variety they'll have access yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Like, because mm-hmm. then, then it's a discussion of, like, they'll never get to try these smaller things because they'll never break this threshold of distribution. Mm-hmm. That, to me, that, to me, is interesting. Like, But then don't you, uh, you know, speaking from a market standpoint, I feel like, you know, if there's only eight to 10 companies that are producing bourbon, don't you foresee that some of them will also sort of gobble up the craft, some craft mm-hmm. distillers as well? And then those numbers will be counted within that because then they're adding to their 500,000 yeah. volume, probably it, not to 100,000, but it like. It's also an assumption that those, you know, such a like capitalist assumption that yeah. that because they're big they're not making a good product which mm-hmm. is not necessarily true right. i mean like <laughs> we love jim beam it's yeah. maybe not like a <laughs> super nuanced whiskey but it's a good whiskey but you know but these producers produce all sorts of things that are varied and interesting mm-hmm. too so maybe i don't know that that's sort of what i'm trying to wrap my head around is that like right. So that's an interesting number, but like, what does it mean? (laughs) (laughs) And I guess it means all kinds of things, but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, we can go from that and scale way, way down to one. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. It took me a minute to realize you weren't making a like one and, but (laughs) the number one. N equals one. (laughs) Um, so Popular Science has this article on a new venture that Maker's Mark is getting into. Speaking of big producers who are doing small things, we have talked much about how different chars will affect your whiskey. And we've done our own experience in Science Corner mm-hmm. <laughs> of how different chars will of how like very small batches can, mm-hmm. you know, taste very different. And so they're actually doing a new, a, a new program called Private Select. And what it does is that it lets, it lets customers flavor a single barrel of whiskey by choosing staves that go in the whiskey and age the whiskey. Hmm. Now, this article is a little not quite correct. It sort of corrects itself, but it's, you know, it says at the beginning, it's like, it's letting you flavor your whiskey. It's letting you age your whiskey. And I think what's actually happening is that it ages the whiskey for however long. It doesn't say how long, but for like a year or so. And then it finishes the whiskey in the barrel that you choose. So it's a finishing whiskey. So instead of like sherry or whatever and all these different flavors that we've had, you finish it in this barrel that you've made. And so they offer five oak staves designed by the company with varying degrees of char, all made from oak uh, from America and France. Um, you get to choose based on flavor criteria. So they have smoke, spice, caramel, vanilla, and you can mix and match. They say there are actually, you can you get to add 10 to the barrel, which means that the permutations total 1,001. Yes, I love this. So that they haven't nearly even tried all of them yet. So it's kind of exciting. I mean, they, they'll kind of hold your hand and let you try um, existing blends that they've made already. They'll let you try 
the whiskey that hasn't been flavored, so you get to try before and after. So you got to go to Baker's Mark to do this. Um, it's not like designing your own like Nike shoes. Like you have to actually go there. You can do is, this online. It is definitely not really accessible to the regular person. In fact, it gets less accessible when they tell you how much it costs. Because <gasps> here's the thing. So what they will do, in fact, there are actually other programs that kind of do this that lets you buy like, you know, your own barrels and stuff, but you have to buy the whole barrel and barrels are not like tiny little barrels that like are the little ones we have on our bars, right? Mm -hmm. That are super cute. 55 gallon barrels. I mean, they say the barrels contain hundreds of bottles and you have to buy every bottle. And right now, right now the bottles will cost you $69 a piece times hundreds. So it's not a cheap thing, but so what you're saying is us three really can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when we do our Whiskey Cats Kickstarter. <laughs> but Maker's Mark is actually building a new warehouse to do this. So they are really planning to scale up. They think it's going to be super exciting. In fact, they're actually doing, instead of just individuals, they're doing it with restaurants and bars and liquor stores so that thinking, they wow. can make their own and then sell that. They're like, this is our own, like... like signature. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, yeah. Whiskey Cat's liquor store barrel that we bought, and we have 105 bottles of it, and they're going to go now. So it's their own small batch. Yes. That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that is kind of cool. I like this. Yeah. Man, what would you so, pick? I don't know. I don't know. Let's look at it again. Yeah. Smoke, spice, caramel, and vanilla. But we get 10, right? So you could have all of them. Uh, that's really... It's Twice really hard. And yeah. a half. <laughs> And I wonder if they're actually, are they just broken down into those categories or is it like, do they break out the, the Westland wheel oh, and God. they're like, here oh, are yeah. the different kinds of smoke. That's true. Here yeah. They have kinds of caramels. And they do it based on the char. So part of it is kind of like your own learning process of mm-hmm. how the chars make different, you know, the, what are all the science terms, the, um, the vanillins and, and the, the all that stuff, the lingans. Yeah. They say how long it'll finish for in that barrel. Yes. It finishes for nine weeks with a new wood. So super short. Yeah, in fact, um, so one of our most, they mostly finish for what, 60 days, I think is? I think, yeah, I think it depends. Maybe, yeah, a couple of months. Like a month, well, that's six close. weeks, to, yeah. Yeah. To um, uh, what was the one that we just did that was six months, finished for six months? Was it the oh, Bren that was in the Cognac finish? Something was know. three months. Maybe. Yeah. So wide range, range of how long things finish for. Yeah, I feel like the possibilities for this are completely endless. Yeah. That sounds great. Good job, Maker's Mark. Yeah. yeah. I we, look forward to going to a bar and drinking a bottle. We will happily <laughs> allow you to sponsor a barrel for us for the Whiskey Cats podcast. <laughs> yeah, send us something with like a little smoke and a little caramel. And some vanilla. We'll taste it for you. So that's it for another episode of Whiskey Cats. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at whiskeycats.com or again, email us at whiskeycatspodcast at gmail.com. And please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at whiskey underscore cats. And if you want to call us with a question or a comment or a whiskey story or any of those things, you can call us at 202-760-2009. Thanks for listening. Cheers. <laughs> Honey, baby, won't you curl near? That sweet mama whisper in your ear. I'm wild about that thing. It makes me laugh and sing. Give it to me, Papa. I'm wild about that thing. I don't want to taste it. <laughs> <laughs>